Welcome to Arvid's Almanac, a podcast hosted by queer settlers navigating decolonial healing through herbal medicine and myth, queerness and magic, astrology and ancestral connection. My name is Rue McDonald. I'm a non-binary witch, place and story-based learning facilitator uh, through the Queer Directions Learning Center here on Lekwungen territories, so-called Victoria, BC. I'm Micah McDonald, they, he, a clinical herbalist, ecologist, and writer living in Abenaki territory in Vermont. I'm Kenzie. I use pronouns ZK, they, she, an intuitive herbalist, sex posse pleasure activist, gender fluid mermaid, mother of a Scorpio siren, and steward of Wild Faith Wellness and the Sex Herbalist. Welcome again. We have a, a new guest who is Lucio Hagen from Wild Awake Ireland and Arvid's Journal. And yeah, we're so excited to have her here because we've been fans for quite a while. And um, both Rue and, and Kenzie and I are um, published in this recent Arvid's Journal. Yeah, w- would you mind, Lucy, um, just giving a brief intro who you are, where you're from, and and what kind of projects you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I was so touched to read the articles that you contributed to the journal this time, just um, resonated so deeply. And I've been listening to your podcast for a while too, so it's great to be here on the other side. Um, Yeah, so it's my name is Lucy O'Hagan. Um, I am originally from Belfast, from Belfast in the north of Ireland, um, and I'm currently in Donegal in the far northwest of Ireland where my sister lives and where my heart lives, and I love the wildness of this place. Um, and yeah, since 2015, I've been working on this project, Wild Awake, so the um, yeah, the, the mission of Wild Awake is to rekindle cultural and ecological resilience here in Ireland. Um, and I do that through sharing ancestral skills with people um, through leading people in immersions in nature and also providing services for families and teenagers and children in um, yeah, rites of passage and forest school. Um, and yeah, I, I'm so blessed to work with so many incredible people across this island and further afield as well and really bringing this this dream um, to life. So yeah, Sinead, that's a little bit. Thank you so much, Lucy. I, I love the vision that you are you have planted and grown. It's just really exciting to know that you're doing the work that you're doing and to be cross-pollinating and the way that you are doing your work from my understanding is is giving back to the community and doing in a way where we're trying to decolonize right we're all trying to decolonize and we're all kind of in this like muddy experimental how do we do this in community how do we stay in community and how do we create communities that are um, cultivating liberatory, transformative, you know, justice. Um, I wonder, you know, the part of me that's like, what would you say to someone who's part of the diaspora, who's wanting to connect to ancestral skills? 
who's far removed and wondering where to start. Yeah, I just uh, want to thank you for sharing all of that and also your um, your naming of what is really true for me of like this is a process and it's continually evolving and growing with the people that I encounter along the road and um, it very much feels like an offering to this unfolding, you know, in the time and place we find ourselves um, so it's been so interesting for me to have more conversations and to come into contact with more of the diaspora who are asking me the same question, you know. And um, yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's um, it's not something I considered that much about, you know. Um, it's really only in the past couple of years that that's become really clear to me of like, yeah, the 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 relationship that diaspora have with my work and that yearning for that connection and that rootedness to their ancestral lands. Um, and I really, um, I don't understand that. And yet it's like, I, I feel that, um, yeah, I feel that real hunger, you know, and it's kind of like the same hunger that I feel and have felt of, still reconnecting to my ancestors and this land because you know I've also been removed from it and my ancestors are also forcibly removed from that um so yeah for for the advice that I give myself which is like the advice that I would offer out to people is like this like going gently um and um and as much yeah with as much integrity as possible to ensuring that um you know you're I suppose like not over romanticizing whilst also like honoring like the the creativity and the imagination and the beauty of our ancestors experience um and yeah something that feels really important to name is like if if people on a different land are wanting to reconnect with the land of their ancestors, then it's also like this, um, yeah, this awareness and this, um, like, yeah, bringing awareness to the land that you're on as well and the Indigenous people that are there too. And, you know, whilst reconnecting with ancestors from a different land that you're also honouring the people where you are. Um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, yeah and I mean I just think it's so beautiful because I know personally I'm learning so much from um people who are in the diaspora like so much like I've learned so much from you all in regards to the mythology of here that I haven't heard um spoken in the way that you do you know and your contributions around uh queer mythology and um yeah, like I've just, I've not heard that in Ireland. And I just think that's such a beautiful gift to people here to see how these myths are reworked and made relevant for our times. And that, um, yeah, that like putting value on what is here, you know, whether it is through like land connection or um, language or mythology and story um and yeah just that like the importance put on like knowing where we have come from 
because, you know, I know very few people here who have traced back their ancestry in the way that I know so many people who are in the diaspora. And I, I, I find it so inspiring because it just like stories the landscapes of ourselves. Um, and yeah, I just I think it's 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 such a beautiful act and it's such a conscious act. Um, yeah, that I, I feel like just in the way that people are um, re-engaging with their ancestral lands. In my experience thus far, I know there are ways that people are doing it that maybe aren't so honoring, but that they're, um, yeah, I've learned, I've learned so much from, from this process. And it's just, it feels so um, new as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for, yeah, the continued unfolding. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that answer and um, you sharing your personal experience of like, the the hungry diaspora it's true and and we all you know who have experienced disconnection from ancestral culture have that that hunger gotta feed it good food yes nettles i was They're reading a nettle no. article this morning just to <laughs> have that in my body for our conversation mm. Mm, that's amazing I love that. Yeah, everything you all have said so far is really, oh, there's so much there. And I kind of want to dive in, but I also want to give space for Lucy's story that she brought. Um, so maybe we'll hear that and then get into the juicy stuff. All right. So this is a story that I have not told aloud yet. So you heard it here first. <laughs> okay, I'll take a moment just to drop into that story space. So the moon waned high in the sky, above our heads, above the heads of the tree. And deep, deep in the centre of the woods, a circle had gathered, a circle of young people, a circle including three guides. And then in the centre of that circle, there was a fire and the fire flickered its light across their faces, illuminating the joy, the fear, the uncertainty, the anxious moment of just being there in that moment in a community of peers surrounded by the community of trees supported by these three mentors. We'd spent that whole day tracking wildlife, learning to read the tracks of fox and squirrel and badger, noticing where the wood mice were coming right beside our own seats to nibble on the snail shells and leaving them out as if a forgotten feast that was disturbed in the middle of the night. We tracked our inner selves to track the emotions that arise in us track the landscape that we traverse through, the things that bring us joy, the things that bring us pain, the parts that ignite our anger and grief and our yearning for justice in the world. We're going to see the badgers, I said. And I watched as the fire lit up these faces of pure delight. For many of these young people came from the city and their only experience of badger had been those at the side of the road or nothing at all. 
And so we set out across the woods. We walked in single files, the moon waning above us. It was dusk, the liminal time. We crossed over the river. And at some point we descended into silence. I'm not sure when, it just came over us so naturally as we moved through the meadows filled with clovers and plantain, the yarrow brushing our legs. It was such a warm summer's evening. And we arrived to the entrance to the woods, the threshold of beech trees sculpted by clematis, which climbed and weaved through the branches. And as we walked through the woodland, the understory of hawthorn and the ground cover of wilted bluebells, a chatter began to emerge from the group that felt mirrored in the chatter of the herons which nested above us. And they did as young people do. They started to link arms and to walk through the woods, not really paying much attention. When suddenly a flash, a flash of black and white darted from outside of the conifers and disappeared into a hole in the ground. Did you see it? I asked, turning around to faces which looked confused and a little bit disappointed. No, no, didn't, didn't see it. Didn't say, what, what was it? What was it? The badger. I'm pretty sure it was a baby badger. It just ran into that hole. Suddenly everybody returned to silence and we immediately sat down our backs supported by a log on the ground and we waited. It felt like an eternity and we quietly passed cups of linden blossom tea among us. The woods, they got darker and darker and moments of chatter would ebb and flow and rise and fall. And I felt in my heart, it's not going to happen. Something else whispered trust, trust to stay, trust to try. Trust to wait and see. He appeared as though he'd always been there. Moving out from the D-shaped hole and turning to look at us. The badger's fur was so distinctive. The blackest of black, the whitest of white that framed his nose and eyes that were set looked like he should have been wearing a little pair of glasses and a little waistcoat. But alas, he had everything that he needed for his life beneath the earth. There was silence in the group as they watched. And the badger watched us. And we perceived the badger the badger perceived us, this meeting of human and badger, this meeting of young people and this young community of badgers. And just as quickly as he had arrived, he disappeared back beneath the earth.
we looked at each other in astonishment and some let out squeals of joy. I've never seen a badger. And we debated within ourselves, should we wait a little bit more? But it was already so dark and we needed to get home. So we lifted ourselves and as we began to walk through the meadow, a magical mist descended upon us and the vixen's cry called out along the river deal. That is my story. Oh, that was so beautiful. You're such a good storyteller. Oh, so beautiful. I really went on that journey with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It feels so good to release it into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you may have guessed, that was a, a story from um, the Rites of Passage program, uh, True Nature, that we ran during the summer. So that was kind of midway through the threshold time for the young people and was a very memorable moment. I love the way that Badger held the initiation. Mm. I want to ask you about the rites of passage that you lead and, you know, um, what ages of people you work with and, and just all of that. Why, why you do it? I'm really curious about all of it. Um, yeah, so this particular program is, um, is called True Nature. Um, and it's designed for young people aged 13 to 15 is that particular one um, and we'll also be working with uh, 16 to 18 year olds and that is a collaboration between um, the, those those two other guides in that circle um, Catherine McCabe and Neve Gagan um, who are just wonderful um, contributors and, and each brings so much um, yeah of their their own gifts to this program um, and that particular one it, it happens in three stages which um, you know attempts to mirror this kind of traditional um, framework of rites of passage of severance and threshold time and return um, so we have a weekend a week and then another weekend with these young people in the woods and then there's a simultaneous parents program led by Catherine um, which happens uh, alongside so that while these young people are growing the container which will receive them after this experience is also growing with them and um, so that's something that uh, anybody who does this kind of initiatory work knows is the challenge is this return time you know where we're creating something um that is normally traditionally would have been um created by the community and for the community and we're doing this in the Uh, absence of community so you know we're simultaneously trying to create that but um yeah and that's something that we're really tending to and continuously exploring so that's kind of like the um adolescence rites of passage um and then i'm also guiding vision fast here which is through the tradition of the school of lost borders so it's a four day and four night um fast on the land um, so we held the first one here in Dunanal, in Donegal, in, um, around the equinox this year, the autumn equinox. Um, and yeah, that's kind of unfolding, you know, it's a very simple kind of bare bones ceremony. And obviously there's so much richness here to weave in and to, 
yeah, kind of lay that on the ground and see what wants to come in. So it's very um, emergent and exciting and terrifying <laughs> work. Um, and uh, yeah, then I I actually designed a like a I I suppose I I reserve rites of passage for like these really big transitions in life, but also seeing that um there's a need for some kind of initiatory experience for children, you know, so around this age of seven, eight, that time of like, um, yeah, the de developmental stage where children are beginning to define themselves um, outside of their families or beginning to turn outwards towards their peers and really supporting parents and communities to develop this language of initiation and to feel comfortable talking about and acknowledging change. Um, and of course, like in the um, Catholic religion here, people would make their holy communions around this age. And with so many people now um, turning away from the Catholic Church, there is a kind of hole where these ceremonies used to be. Um, so people really seeking for something, knowing, you know, knowing in our bones that it's important um, and knowing that like we have the capacity as human beings and we are, it is innate to us to design ritual and to be in um, ceremonial space. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I was approached by a group of parents to design and develop a ceremony for these children um, to kind of step into their community and to offer their gifts. So that was, yeah, Rhea, I can see you touching your heart. It was that feeling. <laughs> it was like so beautiful. And so, um, yeah, it was really a space that was um, transgenerational as well, you know? So it was, you know, the children, uh, their younger siblings, the parents, their wider community of, you know, whatever form their family takes. And also like grandparents were present as well. So it was really beautiful for these grandparents to see like another way of, of doing this. Um, and that's really, really important to me that all those, um, yeah, I suppose like the, um, yeah, the ecology of a woodland, you know, like I'm thinking about all these different layers of the canopy. It's like that's what community space like should mirror that healthy, diverse ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, th those are the kind of offerings that are coming through um, Wild Awake in collaboration with people um, at the moment. Oh, it just fills me with so much joy to hear that story about all the families gathering to witness. Um, it's, it's my understanding that initiation is a lot about witnessing change. And there's this deep um, knowing, like you said, um, that we desire our change and transformation to be witnessed and acknowledged. Um, I'm so curious um, what your relationship is to initiation and why you're so inspired about the importance of the work I suppose my own experience growing up was not I did not have initiatory experience I did not have a community of adults who were witness to my changes um I did not have a very good <laughs> upbringing and definitely you know um in the intelligence of ourselves, I knew that I needed an initiatory experience and I didn't have that support. So my initiatory experiences were 
self-harm and like risky sex and drinking and drugs which is so commonplace you know and that is so much of what we speak about when we talk about the needs for rites of passage because young people will initiate themselves and some don't make it so we really want to um yeah like to provide experiences where that doesn't have to happen um and yeah it feels in lots of ways like this offering to you know the past and the the pain of those who didn't receive that and to the future of like what we want um and um yeah I mean certainly in terms of like coming to do this work um it was very I mean I have huge imposter syndrome all the time and like offering rites of passage work was it felt like such a huge threshold for me to step into that to be like okay I'm you know I suppose at you know at one time my understanding was like I am the one to do this and now I know that you know I am one of a community of people to do this um but yeah like that was um that was a really big thing for me and it, I, I felt very clear you know I, I did this vision fast um ceremony and I did it in the Pyrenees and traveled over and it was the four days and four nights um and I felt very clear in that time that this was the kind of work that I wanted to step into um and then also that I really wanted to bring it home that I didn't want like it, it it was a beautiful experience and it was exactly what I needed it to be and I sat in a cave naked for four days and four nights and just like danced and healed my relationship with my body uh, like it's not healed <laughs> it's not healed I continued a healing um but uh yeah I I just feel so passionate about bringing it home and um for it being really um like culturally appropriate and significant and ancestrally reverent to hear and to know um and that was definitely the the feeling that we got in Donegal over the equinox of you know people just um feeling themselves mirrored in a landscape that is home that they do know um yeah um yeah, it's very close to my heart on a on a personal level to be able to do this. Um, and it's very close to my heart that there's a community that grows around this work that that yeah, because I anytime I speak to people about it here, they you know, they well up, they touch their heart, they know, you know, they really and they really wish for that, to have had that for themselves. And that kind of wish for themselves like transforms into, well, how can I be of service then to to this? Because, you know, ultimately it could be for a young person, but that ripples and like living on an island, it's like we feel those ripples all the time, you know, of, of people who are really feeling that they are. Um, yeah, that they are like immersed in their in their soul's true purpose. And so, yeah. You mentioned something I've been really curious about, um, and that is that people are leaving the Catholic Church and look, you know, they're leaving. You didn't say anything else about that, but I'm really curious, like, when people leave, do they go to something else? And if so, what? Um, and I'm I'm particularly curious about, like, um, you know, uh, people who are uh, turning towards 
nature reverence or maybe um, pre-Christian or pre-colonial like Gaelic spiritualities? Um, and if so, like, is that a good portion of people who are leaving? Or I'm just really curious about that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, on a personal level, when I um, left the Catholic Church or when I was stopping forced to go <laughs> by my mum, I, you know, was just an atheist and I completely just abandoned any kind of spirituality because of that wounding, you know, um, and I think that's a common experience for people um, that any kind of spirituality is either, you know, oppressive and dogmatic um, and harmful or that it's, um, you know, kind of like woo and out there and difficult for people to engage in or to feel that they can have any kind of personal relationship with. Um, And for me personally, my route back into that was through self-generated ceremony um, and and nature connection, which was actually what I had as a as a teenager growing up. I got like, um, yeah, I was really passionate about um, Wicca as a 13 year old. And it just it terrified my mom, you know, like because she was raised in the Catholic Church. She was raised to believe that it was, you know, devil worshipping. And she completely, um, you know, bless her, I love her. But she destroyed my altar. She threw out all of my books and she just didn't understand what it what it was. Um, and she does not. <laughs> and she comes she comes out with me and she's really passionate about supporting my work now as well. Um but yeah, it's it is a really exciting time in Ireland, I feel. And there are so many people who are coming back to like the land and relationship with ritual and community. And what 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 I observed is um, a lot of people re-engaging with the Celtic wheel. So celebrating, you know, in bulk of Kjaltana and Lunasa and Samhain and the um, yeah, the solstices and the equinoxes and revisiting our sacred sites. And, you know, when you go to a sacred site here on one of those days, there is such a diversity of people, you know, it's like, it's just, you know, it feels like, a, a you know, you could have picked out these people just at complete random from the population. So there is that like, I mean, I suppose I, I really feel it's like the land is drawing us back into that, you know, and I've, I've bumped into people at those sites who are just saying, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I don't know why I'm here. I just really felt like I needed to be here. And um, yeah, and then people who are like visiting them all the time. But certainly like there, there definitely feels like there's an empowerment um, uh, a, a, a huge empowerment among a lot of um, people who identify as women and um, yeah like it's um, it's kind of just this and, and also with the language as well I mean I know we're talking about spirituality but people are really coming back to like wanting to learn the Irish language when they've been you know heavily traumatized ancestrally to be to be cut off from that um, and that's been really exciting. And, you know, Moncom McGann, um, uh, if you know his work, has such a huge part to play in this. And his book, 32 Words for Field, it's just really reminded people of what a nature-based culture we were and are. 
and when I learn specific words in Irish now like these old words it's like they're they're things that I know um like the example that I often give is uh, the word rock roc and it's the word for um the the puckering on the surface of the water that shows that there's seaweed below it and you know as somebody who's a forager it's like well you I know that you know and of course there's a word for that because I can see that um and yeah so I think that's been really empowering for people to know that there's um yeah that there's something beyond this um and that we are so close to the other world and that's so present in our mythology and I feel that people feel that when they and, and you know COVID's played such a huge role in this as well of like people going back to the land spending more time in nature like there's a huge movement of people who are sea swimming now um, and yeah that, like with that they're just having so many more encounters with mystery with the unknown with the other than human communities you know and so it's just yeah there's something very um yeah you can really feel it in the air at the moment here it's a very exciting time to be doing this work thank you that's uh, i'm so glad to hear that that's so exciting because it's funny, you know, obviously I'm not in Ireland, but I feel that draw too. And I have a somewhat similar trajectory to, I think, a lot of people who are doing like, um, you know, pagan reconnection to pagan spiritualities is like a move away from Christianity towards atheism and then maybe towards Wicca as a first step because it's so accessible, but then moving through that into something else. Um I definitely have felt that myself. And I'm curious, um, when it comes to nature connection, I feel that that for me and, you know, a lot of others has been such a critical step because it's um, very easy to just get sucked into modernity and just um, stay there and uh, live in that world because it's the most accessible world. Um, at least it is here, um, but that if we're going to move into any kind of like deeper spirituality, it has to involve connection with nature because that's, I don't know, that is what seems most real to me, but um, what, how do you figure nature connection is related to this deepening of a of an emergent spirituality in, in your communities. Um, and then also, does that have anything to do with kind of the political scene, especially thinking about decolonial politics, um, where you are? Um, yeah, I suppose a lot of my experience that I yeah, that I want to speak to in answering this is like in the forest school community. And so much of that is around nature connection and specifically facilitating nature connection for others, like notably children. Um, and uh, it's a really, I, I'm part of the training team for um, forest school leaders here in Ireland now. 
and um, yeah, we've just uh, developed our own training, which is really amazing. Like speaking about decolonization, it was a UK based training and now will be one from within Ireland. So it's really exciting to see how that will look. Um, but yeah, you're like uh, on this training, you know, it's an accredited training for people who work with young people. So it's quite often teachers and, you know, um, maybe people working in youth services and seeing yeah I it's like sometimes I frame my work as like quite often I'm standing at the door meeting people you know when they step into this world and for some of them it's the first time they've ever heard about nature connection or experienced it deeply for themselves and um, that's really amazing to witness you know when somebody has been within a school system that is so rigid and so um stressful and so separated from nature um to 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 be there you know um and um yeah i think that's um again it's so exciting in ireland <laughs> um because there's so many people who've been trained now and are are stepping into this work from a place of like i I'm doing this for myself, like for my own connection and um, like it's rippling out to people's families. And then they're turning up for these young people in other organizations, just like really like wanting to um, reweave that connection for other people. Um, so, yeah, like from from that point, I just because it's kind of bringing it into the mainstream more, you know, um, and uh like aside from that, like there's kind of, yeah, I suppose nature connection is just appearing in 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 lots of, of different places. And there's a lot more people hungry for that type of work and those types of experiences, whether on a personal level or in their profession. Um, and then in terms of um, the decolonization work, that is, um, I'm going to say it again, really exciting. <laughs> at the moment I don't know if you're aware of um Jimmy Billings work with um Tushkent Natalun um so wisdom of the land and um Jimmy his um yeah he's studied um decolonial, decolonial studies um and his um thesis was on like decolonizing connection to um Gaelic culture um and like revitalization of land connection so he's really doing a lot and speaking to this at the moment and so I'd really recommend people check out his work and he's running courses for people over zoom as well um, and yeah that that's been really um broadening for me in my work that it's um yeah it feels like two sides of the same coin of you know I'm out working with people on the land um showing them you know this is you know a plant that our ancestors would have eaten and this is a way that we can eat it and like here's a bat you know like that it's on the ground engaging and then also like what feels very fundamental to me is that we're understanding or moving towards an understanding of why it is that we are we have to relearn this you know like what has happened in our past that means that right now like we're using the word rewild or that um we don't speak irish um or that you know um a part of this land is still um 
you know, under occupation, I feel like that's like quite a, um, you know, it's quite a loaded thing to say, but that there has been so much violence on this land, you know. Um, yeah, that feels really important to me because um, I'm really passionate about like destroying these systems which oppress us, you know, like I really feel and experience, as does everybody, the pain of living under capitalism and in patriarchy and by these systems which have been created through colonization. And if I am just, you know, it's really important that we're soothing our nervous systems because that's really stressful to live under these systems. But like if I just if we just keep going out to the woods, it feels like just putting a like a plaster, like a band-aid on again and again and again, like without coming to the actual core of like how did we get here and like what do we need to understand moving forward and how do we like revitalize culture without perpetuating the same harms um, that are and continue to be caused um, by us to um, yeah like communities here and like I'm thinking particularly of you know um, like asylum seekers coming into Ireland and the Irish traveling community, which like their culture is continually um, and continues to be attempted to be erased. Um, so it's like, yeah, just coming to an awareness of like, I'm being really honest about like where we're at um, to kind of re-engage that, like what, where is it that we want to go um, and how can we, you know, there's this really great selection of slides on Instagram and it's like climate um, collapses, the crisis of, you know, and it's like a crisis of um, colonization and it's a crisis of um, like destroying ancestral lifeways and also that it's a crisis of imagination, you know, that we've been cut off from these parts of ourselves that can dream into a better future and like actually believe that that's possible and like, yeah, move towards it. Um, so yeah, there's there seems to be like a lot, um, a lot of talk about this specific to Ireland at the moment, um, which is just it's just brilliant, um, and yeah, really excited for more people having those conversations and creating those spaces around the fire where it's really much easier to have these conversations, um, to kind of or I mean like we can do it on zoom too as long as, long as they're happening <laughs> but yeah just that um yeah people are feeling like there's there's something else waiting you know thank you so much I really really uh, resonate with what you're saying about um just how when we can reconnect to nature like more things feel possible in some ways and um it's so i i would say it's healing you know to as i'm an educator as well and and a forest school practitioner and to get to witness young ones connecting to nature is so healing because my little self little rue gets to come along and get to witness be witness too right? And be healed. Yeah, it's, it's a tender, it's a tender thing to work with tender kids. <laughs> and everything that they're experiencing now is different from what I experienced 
as a child. Um, and they're also, they have new, new worries, like you said, and new stress and ecological grief that I don't think I had awareness of or, um, when I was young. And I'm so curious about your experience, um, supporting kids in this time of climate crisis. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, for, well, that I can visualize little Rue in the forest and also that, um, yeah, like it's, it's so true that, um, yeah, I also really heal parts of myself when I work with young people in the woods, you know, and I, I see myself in them and um, I'm so inspired by the way in which they turn up in the world and the, you know, their innate um, capacity for ritual when a tree falls or they find a dead animal, that that's automatically where they go to. Um and yeah, I really resonate with that as well. You know, I think growing up, um, there was definitely still the narrative that things could change and that we could make a change. And, you know, that if we just recycled or I mean, I, I suppose growing up, I um, I remember being a, ch- a child and there was the hole in the ozone layer. And that was like fixed, you know, it was like, great. Okay. We fixed that. That's, it's definitely possible for this to all be fixed, you know, and to grow up with that sense of hope. Whereas now I just like, don't see that narrative for young people at all that like, um, yeah, we're in collapse, you know, like where this is climate change and, um, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to, to hold because it's kind of this um you know I, I I met with my friend John Duffy here yesterday and um he is he has this project at the moment of rewilding um these patches of land in Donegal and we're working together to see what that looks like ecologically and um with people as part of it and uh, yeah he's been rewilding this patch of land through using like intense kind of herd management um, with sheep and pigs and horses and uh, like we were on the land and he was showing me you know the regenerated parts of it and the places where the young hawthorns were coming up and the young birches were coming up and that's so fast you know like think of this being like such a extensive process but like no actually like if we're in yeah I mean he's very um very studied in, in in what he's doing but their traditional land practices um and uh yeah he was saying do you know that it just felt like when the land was under like it was kind of like not like really intense short bursts of pressure but like this ongoing like steady pressure of you know sheep grazing and that when the land was under that kind of just like you know barely above the surface but constant like that was what had kept the land like trapped in this period of stress and I was like well like isn't that just us you know it's like just this ongoing um level of stress and and what happens when that stress is released released you know like when the land when like the body of ourselves are able to yeah experience life in its fullest um 
so yeah I mean back to back to young people I feel like there is so many different things that young people are worrying about at the moment that they have cause to worry about um and um yeah like particularly in the rites of passage you know we're really we really welcome that you know we really welcome the role of youth in questioning and challenging like that you know holding that fire of like questioning the systems that we have put in place and questioning authority and you know sitting in circle and making decisions together and not holding ourselves on pedestals to say this is the way things need to be done but to like actually explore what does it look like when you have power or what is power and how do we use it um and that's really challenging thing to do you know particularly if these kids are going back into schools where it's like how do you you know it's difficult enough for us to kind of adapt and move between these worlds anyway but as a young person you know if you're speaking out against something and there is not the welcome space for that like that's hugely traumatizing um so yeah it's a really difficult thing and I really feel for them and I really deeply appreciate these people who hold space for eco grief for young people um, and recognize and know the importance of grief um, and of there being spaces for people of all ages to to share that um, and to be witnessed in that and to yeah just really feel that um yeah that's so important when i was when i first learned about climate change when i was like 10 or something it freaked me out so much and I would have constant anxiety about it. And I just remember those, those times. And actually that might've been one of the reasons why I was so um, inspired by Wicca back then, just, just as a method to like, feel like I was participating on a bigger scale um, spiritually, you know, finding some spiritual method by which to act upon that. And then I think it also helped me, um, it also spurred me to eventually get into like environmental activism, but mm. yeah, that the, there was no support for that when I was a kid. And it's fantastic to hear that there are spaces for processing that now for kids. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're very commonplace, but they do exist for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's also, I mean, I think it's really inspiring for young people to see like these voices coming out of, you know, particular um, like nations around the world who are being really directly impacted by climate change at the moment and speaking about like their experiences, you know, and the whole, um, what is it, Fridays for, what is it, Fridays for Climate, where they all left school and marched and, um, yeah like Greta Sundberg and the many many young voices who are speaking up against this I mean there's so many role models in that so um that helps you know I think <laughs> yeah and one you know one question I have about that is that I have felt like the more and more I I engage with um you know learning about herbalism being on the land physically uh learning various like skills such as growing food and stuff and just being in the woods all the time as as much as I can at least um that has deepened my environmentalism 
far beyond what I learned in school or it was connected to when I was a kid. And actually, I'm wondering, I mean, I this is my belief, but I want to hear what you have to say that like that is totally critical to developing a grounded, robust climate action, actually. Um, because I have seen, like I've worked in the policy world for a while and the majority of those people do not spend any time outdoors. And so their, their environmental action is <clears throat> primarily cerebral and, and their actions are actually contradictory to their morality and ethics with regards to the environment. And also like they're not noticing the on the ground effects of climate change. They're just kind of reading charts. Um, so I think that's totally critical personally. And I want to hear what you have to say about that stuff. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, this was the reason I got into forest school and was so excited when I first read about it um, because I, I was in schools previous to that, like teaching about environmental education. And that just felt like awful, you know, to go into a school and talk to kids about climate change. Like, I don't want to hear about it. You know, it's so awful. And people get the wrong idea about what it is and how it's happening and who it's affecting. Um, and yeah, it was really, you know, um, seeing children seeing people engage with you know what we call nature engage with the world around them um that was the only time that I really experienced the kind of relationship building that needs to happen um for people to truly want to protect you know, protect the the ecological communities that they live in, protect themselves and their families, um, and come to understand like what it means to have resilience as well, you know, and that resilience happens in community. Um, and uh, yeah, like it's just, it's so, it's so fundamental and it's so fundamental for, you know, these people who are writing these policy documents as well, that they also have that because I feel like what we'll see is just another project of colonialism, you know, that people buy up these huge chunks of land, like forcibly remove indigenous people from that land and then call it like a rewilded space, you know, and that rewilding is something that happens without humans a part of it, which is just so ridiculous, you know, that we know that um, like this concept of wilderness was created and it was created through a viol very violent colonial project and that the reason that those places were so like quote-unquote beautiful or diverse is because of indigenous stewardship you know it was because people were engaging with the land and yeah I think another core element of this is that like there is like reciprocity built into that and that's something that I love exploring with children because it's like I don't know, the culture of like gift economy with them is so ripe 
you know, that, okay, well, we've foraged these nettles and we've made our tea and like, what are we going to give back? You know, like, is it that we're giving back our thanks and our gratitude? Is it that we're going to, you know, save some seeds and plant more nettles and we're learning about the different butterflies that depend on the nettle for their life cycle? And, you know, we're learning about, oh, like how we've, you know, there's so many branches that you can go through to know the value of nettle to so many different beings like past present and future and then you know to really dream into like okay well I know like this is such a huge gift to take this like plant and like how am I going to do that in a way that that grows more that like contributes to this cycle of like receiving and giving and um yeah I just like like what you're saying it's so funny because it, it feels so core to what I do now that I so often forget to even mention it that it's just like we need to begin with feeling like we love this earth you know and that we love like humans you know there's such a terrible narrative around humans um and that you know moves into like ecofascism and all of these things that are like really um heartbreakingly prevalent in our world now that um yeah that that somehow we're not a part of all of this you know um and I think that's been like such a potent thing in my work with ceremony in terms of um you know like the art of mirroring and people being able to go into a space and see themselves in the web of a spider or learn like really receive like a teaching from a river or a moth um you know like that's that's been really really powerful um and I think coming to know ourselves as a part of this story um is really is really core moving forward and I think about like the you know the words of of Amargin like this first human stepping onto the land of Ireland and proclaiming you know like I'm I'm you know like really like seeing oneself and knowing oneself as the land and that just as you know this hillside that's regenerating that like what I I, I really have a deep um grow like a deep love for the work of John Moriarty um, and he talks about you know what is true of the earth is true of us so like we are mirrored in the land in like our joys and our playfulness and our queerness and our you know just our wholeness as much as you know like the the parts that are kind of denuded and are suffering and are bare at the moment and yeah, when we are engaged in this process of giving back to the land, that we are restoring ourselves and our cultures at the same time. Thanks so much, Lucy. Um, we have a lot more to talk about, I know, but we're we're coming up in an hour now. So I want to try something new to keep the episodes to a manageable time um, and pause here and then release this first hour for free and then um, release the second hour of our conversation to our patrons on Patreon. And um, I'll say a little bit more about that at the end. Uh, but in the meantime, is there anything you'd like to tell listeners about um, regarding your work and where to find you and also um, events coming up for you? Yeah, actually. Um, so we will be relaunching the True Nature Rites of Passage program that I spoke about. And um 
you know, we really heard the request from families who participated in the last one to provide a um, simultaneous parents programme to be working with the parents at the same time. So we want to expand that programme and um, we're not, uh, um, you know, we're not a charity. This is all funded by the families. So, yeah, we'll be opening up and asking for um, contributions to help us make this work accessible for families who really need it um, and we'll be hosting an online kind of webinar about uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it and how people can support that work and um, yeah that would just uh, mean so much to us that uh, the young people and the families who need this work most are are able to access it um, yeah so that would be the main thing and um yeah people can find out about if they're in Ireland and they are wanting to come to one of my classes I put all of my classes up on my website which is wildawake.ie and um yeah I'm pretty active on social media though I'm really looking forward to taking a break and people can buy Arvid's journal as well they can buy one two three Arvid's journal on my website and we ship all over the world so yeah those are some things. Thank you for that invitation. Yeah, get the Airman's Journal. <laughs> yeah. I just got mine in the mail a few days ago. It's so oh. beautiful. Oh, so I'm so beautiful. excited to get mine. Well, thank you again, and um, we'll talk soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, in the second hour of our conversation with Lucy, we talk about mushroom foraging, cultural appropriation, and other potential pitfalls of ancestral reclamation. Um, also talk about Lucy's mentors in her rites of passage work and ancestral skills, Irish language reclamation, decolonization in the Irish context, um, fascism in the pagan community, and the positive and or negative roles that the diaspora can play in Irish decolonial healing. Uh, so we will release the second half of this conversation on Patreon, which you can get access to for um, a small monthly fee, as little as a dollar. And that contribution um, really helps us pay for the costs of this podcast um, and help us make this a more financially sustainable project um, so we can keep doing it. And a third of your contribution goes to an indigenous and queer-led organization um, doing decolonial healing work. So thanks again, and um, we will see you in part two or in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.